Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Three, Risk Analysis. Chapter 12. don't care what we think, do you? Amaros demanded at last. No, I really don't. I'm not yet done with my debriefs, which I've been strongly advised to conclude before talking out of turn. There is a procedure for this and you are not following it. If legal action against me or my crewmates is ever considered in the future, the fact that your side of the table wanted to circumvent SOP will be brought up. I've had a rough time of it, and I'm in no mood for any more back-alley nonsense. People have died in this operation, which was supposed to be all about maintaining peace. Team will be waiting for us on the other side of this jump, and they won't be in a good mood. If you aren't seeing the big picture yet, believe me, others are. They've spied and stolen and murdered for it. Shady Lady was right in the middle of that crap so I won't be taking any more of it from you. They didn't know what to do with me after that, and started wasting time going over my testimony thus far under debrief, those few pieces group management had been willing to part with anyway, asking me to confirm things I'd already sworn to. It was stupid, and I said so while getting up to leave, ignoring the ineffectual wheedling of the Arbiter. Naturally enough... This concluded the meeting. Within a shift, the backup line became active again. First with test packet transfers, then with speed and traffic tests to make sure it was really as good as new. Finally, they did a full bandwidth saturation assessment that went on for a while. John assured us this was all normal procedure and that the only cause for concern they might have is that our shunt created a slight drop in speed from before. It wasn't much, but would have definitely raised eyebrows had it happened while the line was in active use. Considering the circumstances, they were more likely to chalk it up to some loss of efficiency from the relays on either end, rather than an issue with the line itself. Indeed, by third shift, normal data traffic had returned and we were getting it all piped directly to Shady Lady. Departmental backups archiving through this line were performed at random times throughout each shift, varying from two to as many as seven sessions per. 
We were, therefore, able to get this information, not in real time necessarily, but at least before it was strictly old news. Happily, while some of the data was protected, much of it was not. And, since this was considered a secure backup route all on its own, those encryptions that were in place weren't even up to the same standards as wireless comm. That meant Shady Lady was able to read and write to their backup files, propagating changes to their redundant copies, and thereby cloning our activity across systems. This was vital because all modern data storage configurations included fully automated tools for seeking out and fixing data corruption. By averaging any found discrepancies against a series of identical backup files containing that same information, the system was able to restore them to normal without any human intervention whatsoever. This could include reconfiguring databases, organizing and linking scattered code sheets, and copying over any bits and bobs that might have gone missing somewhere along the line. It was in this fashion that our inserted files were placed within the station's various networks, and eventually made live to real-time users. Not all these users were human, of course. Many were AIs and dedicated systems, such as the sensors in the companionways. Though our method was convoluted and slow, it was now possible to insert basic ident information to allow one or more of us general station access. Entrance to more secure sections was far trickier, since there were other sensor networks in place that seemed wholly unconnected to the data line we had tapped. You don't have any access to those nets at all? Chris questioned, sounding disappointed. They put in air gaps, Stina told him. We all looked at her in confusion, but John supplied, She means there's no direct sharing of data between these systems. Total network isolation from regular users is a standard security design for restricted information. Anything above a certain classification will be run through one of those, not the general network that we're tapped into. So far, we do see people pulling over some classified information here and there, but it's in very small amounts and highly encrypted, probably just personal work. There's no way to clone back our info into those restricted networks without another physical hack. And we don't even know where the cables and equipment for them are located because that info is also restricted. I could write a script, his partner put in blandly. Target restricted files on the regular net. When users plugged their work back into the classified networks, the script would run and inject our information onto that system. Sounds risky, Mavis commented. Stina just shrugged. It's extremely risky, SS1 dismissed firmly. And certain to fail even if the injection isn't caught since we don't know anything about the actual structure of these classified networks. They can take a lot of forms and be highly customized. We would need to know about that, SS2 agreed, or intoned, monotoned. Well, whatever, we're not after restricted tech, I commented, eyeing Chris, who eyed me back. We just want to get our parts. How do we go about it? We'll have to start by placing the order again. Chris announced, looking at a status update. We missed our pickup time, and it's been marked as recycled. This was not wonderful news. 
So the conversation moved from strictly that of data lines and hacking to data lines, hacking, and getting inside. A repeat of the faulty camera scam seemed like a bad idea to pull again right away, so we launched into flights of fancy, none of which survived the rest of the crew's collective scrutiny. After a time, it became repetitious, and I decided to take a break, retreating to gunnery. Much of the technical data about the loss of Jaybird was being discussed on networks we didn't have access to, but there were several general assessments on file, which a search of their copied information brought up. From these details, I learned the ship had been a Model 11B Experimental Transgravity Dimensional Propagation Vehicle, but I liked Free Jump better. It had been developed by Condis Transport Technologies Incorporated, a subcontractor with a substantial presence on Mylag Vernier. Nowhere was a mention of any attack order being given to the Free Jump, nor even of a registered flight plan that would have sent it in Shady Lady's direction. Nevertheless, it had come at us with Port and Starboard Class 3 12 gigawatt spiraling particle lances. I shook my head in belated relief on that one, because those would have been plenty enough to take us down. It was currently listed as being missing, presumed destroyed by misadventure, but there was a reference to a classified report that didn't seem to exist anywhere in the backup data. Just as mysteriously, there was no mention of the second free jump. Again, what I was seeing were just simplified reports designed for the consumption of non-technical management types. As expected, hard science and engineering data on the new technologies were not included in these kinds of memos. Reports that did contain such information would be isolated entirely on closed, hardwired networks all their own. We had a ton of peripheral conversation about the tech, and lots of evidence of its existence, but not one scrap of detail about how it worked. If this was frustrating to Christmas Giordano, he didn't let on. The fact that he maintained a solid poker face was telling, though, and I fully expected him to reach for that brass ring, sooner or later. And all of that aside, we still needed to get those darn parts somehow. Saying it over and over doesn't lend inspiration, Jack. the ML replied to my audible mumble. I often did this when brainstorming, asking the same base question to myself repeatedly whenever it seemed like my thoughts were straying from the core issue. This time I was on the open channel, and I'd probably been babbling for at least an hour. In that regard, Chris showed great patience and restraint. Oh, sorry... I'm trying to get at it from a different angle without losing the thread. I hear that, he replied, with what sounded like a touch of frustration after all, though for the problem rather than the problem solvers. I just don't see how we can possibly get in and out of an airlock without repeating the same gag. Even a variation would be a pattern someone could notice. We need more than the freedom to walk around, I stated, feeling trapped. We'd hit this wall hard and couldn't seem to get away from it. Someone has to be on the roster in there with full authorization to accept delivery of our fabricated engine parts. That's a whole other problem. I told you I can manage that, Stina injected, 
and I was shocked to hear some testiness in her voice. We can't simply plop onto their personnel lists, John piped in, parrot-like, because he'd been saying this for a while. We need complete identities in place. There have to be records behind the authorization request or it won't clear the background check. And personally, I won't clear it at all. Okay, fine, I replied. So how do we create verifiable legends if these guys can just call for confirmation from OutSystem? We can't, Stina replied for him. Whoever goes in will have to use their real name and ident, SS1 clarified. To Stina, I said, You went to school over here, right? Yes. Did you get a degree or a cert? No, I got arrested. Everyone stopped and looked at her. She was the very last person you'd peg as a troublemaker. What happened? Chris asked, because she clearly wasn't going to tell without prompting. I used the university's secure systems for penetration testing. They failed. Some postgraduates were doing restricted research for team at the time. They were really mad. I was deported. How did you get this mission then with a criminal record in corporate space? The ML asked, curiously. I was 12. Juvenile. It was sealed. The rest of us looked at each other with the kind of expressions you'd expect upon hearing that. That information might not have made its way back to the Alliance, I stated. But if these guys do a background check on you over here, they'll definitely find it. System infiltration? They wouldn't let you anywhere near this project, even if you were just a kid when it happened. She shrugged. Well, if it's confession time, Chris offered with a mischievous tone. I was once part of an operation on this side of the border that fell apart. Don't ask for details, but we were all detained by some yokel security force. They didn't have an ident scanner on them at the time, and we all gave fake names. They did, however, take pics, vid, DNA, and fingerprints. We, uh, managed to get away, but that information must still be kicking around in some database or other. Maybe not in-system, but a call outside for background info could easily bring it up. Dieter cleared his throat politely. For what it's worth, he offered, I've never been in corporate space before. I have no history here. Neither have I, the captain added. Though I think it's unlikely they'll trust someone from over the border with neural enhancements around this place. That made sense to me, and the others agreed as well. I've been in corporate space many times, I put in at last. Different ships and jobs, but all of it legal. I've never had any trouble. So we turned it over again and again. How do we get someone in? Who should go? What kind of approach should they take once inside? This is getting tedious, Mavis pronounced after a while. Maybe she was picking up on the growing mood because I, for one, was feeling punchy. Take a break, everyone. It will come to us, but not if we keep banging our heads on the bulkhead. Find something different to do, each of you, and do it for a few hours. We'll converge at 1900 for dinner and try again. That was a good idea, and everyone seemed to appreciate the captain's fluid approach to problem-solving. It might even have worked, 
if the graviton alarm hadn't tripped at 1,500 hours, indicating that a huge number of exit cones had just appeared on the edge of the system. I have 10, 15, 22 and counting, John cried, reading from a data pad as he dashed from his bunk back to his station in the common room. Stina had never left her seat, and now used the Tri-D overhead to cross-reference the cone sigs for known vessels or vessel types on record. Graviton cones for many ship designs, commercial and military alike, had to be highly attuned to the structural mass of the vessels. This level of microcontrol was consistent across starship models. Recorded, collected, and made generally available, this information was comparable to a registry database. It could be used to identify particular vessels, or at the least, a general class of ship, whenever extra-dimensional transit, coming or going, was performed. A stealth ship like Shady Lady had built-in randomizing factors to its jump cone. This way, the exact opposite effect could be achieved. It made the ship's graviton wake, were it to be detected at all, considering its extreme truncation and subtlety, impossible to identify. Not only from a database of other registered cones, but from one jump to the next. This was a highly specialized thing, though, and not at all in keeping with the needs of Corporate Security Space Branch, which had just dropped in with an entire subfleet of spacecraft. Oh man, oh man, I spoke aloud, still in gunnery, as I ran down the list Stina was creating. A jump-capable battle base, two big gunships, and a crap ton of support craft. This is not good. That's a Category 10 armored high dock, Chris exclaimed, looking at the details. Name of, uh, Caesar's Palace. Cute. Library records say it is 22 heavy strike fighter bombers aboard, 117 mediums and upwards of a thousand self-directed combat drones. Wow, SS1 put in. And now we just got eight deep action gunboats appearing and 37 close cutters, all towed in by jump tugs. Those two gunships that came in with the battle base are industrious class heavy coasters, I put in as I read ahead. They're like Ain Fleet superboats, only with jump capability. You could nuke those things broadside and they'd still be smiling. That was an exaggeration, of course, but not by much. Heavy coasters and superboats alike were some of the hardiest vessels anywhere ever designed. The Great Interstellar War had been waged with earlier versions of these things by the hundreds, fending off all comers from key star systems. After that, the Empire split itself in two, with papal and noble heavy coasters tearing into each other mercilessly. This was a class of space vehicle specifically designed to take, keep, and defend a nation's property. And now we all knew just how badly corporate wanted to do that with the free jump tech. They had their cones set to trigger an emergency call on the system nav buoys. John said, adjusting frequencies and trying to grab the automated announcement with clarity. They must not know that most of them are down. Long minutes passed until actual radio signals from the new ships crawled in at light speed. Is it a full system interdiction? Mavis asked after a time, sounding cool and focused. I don't know. It's a crummy signal. Looks like Caesar's Palace is taking the flag from Liquidator, though. 
That won't sit well with somebody, I commented. Hopefully not, the captain expanded. If it's resented, the command transition will be a rough one and take more time. We may have a couple shifts here before anybody is comfortable with the new COC. Then if we're doing anything ourselves, we better do it now, Chris urged. General Store will need time to refab those parts for us. We should at least get the order in before they receive any policy changes from the new bosses. Agreed, Mavis said. Let's do it. Chris and John sat together, formulating an approach for the order. By now, the supply ship had communications and data hardwired to the station via the access tube. That meant we had to plant a fake parts order into Mylag Vernier's backups and then file a verbal complaint with the factory chief on the ship via comm about how our order was late. This would spark up back and forth with the chief who would look it up and inform us there was no record of any such order. This would prompt more complaints from the imaginary repair service we were pretending to be, which would then force the chief to verify the ship's records with the stations. Then there'd be confused apologies, confused explanations, and a promise of alacrity in finally filling the order. Stina made the fabrication request again and injected it into the compromised backup line, while John and Chris discussed the finer points of the ruse. That went on for at least an hour. Eventually, our ML put a call through to General Store's switchboard, using a real officer's name and ident code from Liquidator. He followed a script, cribbed from older parts orders that we had intercepted and studied, and he navigated through the automated ordering process until he got a human on the line. Oh, the little propagators, a shift supervisor who identified herself as Mel confirmed. Yeah, sorry about that, but you never put in shipping instructions and I needed the iridium for another order. Can't provide replacements now, I'm short on the raws, and we just got that hold notice from team on all imports. You saw that, right? I just got on shift, the ML muttered dismissively. Oh, well... If you have any repairs pinned on out-system material sourcing, you're stuck, brother, just like us. Call me again when supplies are shipping in and I'll put you at the head of the queue. Chris thanked her with honest disappointment, then closed the call. All right, then, he stated morosely. Plan B. Which is? Which is yet to be determined, Jock. And we all hunkered back down in front of the drawing board. John came up with the idea of searching through the inventories of the various fleet pools and maintenance units in system for a junk courier being stripped for parts, or maybe one that was just sort of forgotten about. But he and Stina could find nothing. That had been a long shot anyway, but it represented the last new idea we had for quite a while. We all sat around at our stations, thinking, thinking. We sat around the table in the common room during meals, thinking, thinking. We lay in our bunks, took longer showers, took turns with the small fold-down gym unit amidships. Actually, I passed on that. 
and each shift that went by showed the new team players further from the jump point at System's Edge and closer to our doorstep. We'll have to abandon the ship, I said to Mavis, after three days of this and over a private channel from Gunnery. Well, I think you can imagine how I feel about that, she responded forlornly, revealing she'd come to the same conclusion already. If we surrender, we'll be disappeared or detained for life. The handshake has too much riding on this. Then we sneak away somehow, without Shady Lady. I agree, the hobo thing is out. There are too many of us to manage it, and basic security is going to be tighter than ever now. We need new identities and job placements in systems so we can be seen as normal. We give ourselves whatever fake certs and licenses we need and take on regular duties here. Then we go through normal channels and get ourselves transferred out as real employees with other fish to fry. Once we're in the clear, we make for the border on standard commercial flights and go through customs, just like everybody else. That might work for you guys, she replied heavily. But 52% of my biomass has been replaced with inorganic materials. I'll draw attention the moment I'm in public, and even if no one calls me out on that, when we go to leave, you better believe they'll insist on taking a look at my cyber neuro hardware, if only to make sure I'm not smuggling out classified data. Most of my long-term memory is stored on integrated mini-blocks. This whole mission is on there. If they plug into my head, we're sunk. I sighed in frustration at that. Tell me again how that makes you a better person? Oh, don't go there, all right? Just don't. I get it from my parents, I get it from my rabbi, I even hear it from my ex when I run into him. It's my body, my choice, my life. And remember, I wasn't hired as a spy, Ejok. We were never supposed to be in this position. I felt bad immediately. Ashamed, really. That kind of offhand bigotry wasn't going to change our situation. Ah, uh, crap. I, I didn't mean... Mavis... I'm sorry. None of this is your fault. We'll just have to come up with something else, something that gets us all out safely. She said nothing for a long time, with only her preternaturally regular breathing audible over the channel. No, she said quietly at last. You're right. I'm a liability here. We should pursue that normal employee transfer idea. For you guys, I mean. The crew needs to get clear of this. And when team finally spots you up here, what then? I countered. They'll still get at your memories. I was first approached about this job on day 2-2 of last year, she pronounced. I'll have Stina do a head shred on me for all data since that time. Then you guys put me under ice, power down the ship to minimal levels, and walk away. I'll just sleep until they find me. That's pretty harsh. Do you have external backups of that stuff? Some of it, she confirmed. At home. Nothing classified, just personal memories. When they let me go, I'll restore what I can. They will never let you go, Captain. If you stay behind, they'll execute you or drop you in prison for the rest of your life. And you can expect a vivisection at the least just so they can be sure you aren't hiding anything. The proper term is... Active disassembly, she replied flippantly. 
Mavis, this is no joke. You can't stay here. We all have to get out. Any option that deviates from that is no option at all. It's not your call. If we come up with something better, I'll be the first to celebrate. Otherwise, this is the fallback plan. That sounded final, so I redoubled my efforts. I looked at data streams, watched for exploitable policy changes, and continued thinking. Thinking. You have been listening to Risk Analysis, a science fiction novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter, where you'll find exclusive content and early releases. This story is copyright 2016 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The theme for Risk Analysis is called The Inventor by Zach Beaver and is available on SoundCloud.com. Risk Analysis is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.